forgot I had one more thing to do. Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those all who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. This is the word of God. Thank you, Caleb. Thank you. Now, Palm Sunday's awesome, isn't it? The joy of knowing that Jesus is coming, that he's going to show up, that there's a redeemer who's going to appear. And this morning's really an important step in sort of understanding that story. Why did God do it this way? What does it mean? I really sort of started in an unusual place asking the question of, don't you love stories? I mean, like me, do you love stories of toughness? I mean, people who really face the challenges in their lives, people who are not afraid to confront them head on, overcoming, right? They're, they give us encouragement. They give us hope in facing what we have in front of us to go forward, maybe when we'd rather quit, right? Over the years, I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for those great adventure films, you know, and I follow a guy on YouTube who single-handedly as a young guy sailed across the Atlantic in like a 28-foot boat. And I mean, you know, I love these stories of guys who are pressing the limit. And in men's, um, men's journal over the years, they've kept like the top 20 adventure documentaries, sort of going through them and like, okay, what are these stories? One of the ones that I most love has this title, Farther Than the Eye Can See. And it's one of those stories of these guys climbing Mount Everest. And by the way, they, they don't feature this film because it's a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge for everybody to climb that mountain, right? I would love to do that. And they, all, they don't feature it because there are challenges as they go along the way. That's bound to happen. It is featured because the leader of the team who reaches the top of Everest is, the, is blind, he can't see a thing. He was in middle school. He lost his vision, and he refused to, to change his life to meet the size of his disability. And he said, what can I do? What challenges can I take on? And yes, he climbed Mount Everest. You can see him at the top. I mean, amazing thing when you're like inch by inch because you cannot see where your feet are going to fall. And by the way, in the process, he's climbed some of the most other amazing peaks in the world. He climbed El Capitan, you know, in Yosemite out in California. And as he was climbing it, he actually passed, I think, two teams of seeing climbers. So imagine the blind guy passing you as you're going up the mountain on El Capitan. That was Eric Wanemeyer. That's his name. And you say, well, how did he get there? What got him to push harder in his life when he had a good excuse for not doing so? In his native Canada, when he was a young guy, about the time he became blind, the story of another guy named Terry Fox hit the news across Canada. Terry also, as a young man, had cancer of his leg, and to get the cancer out, they had to, to remove his leg. And after um, he became an amputee, he didn't stop living. He, sta he, he strapped on a prosthetic leg and he decided he would run all the way across Canada from one side to the other over 3,000 miles. And this sort of captured the ima imagination of Canadians. And this young guy, Eric, saw that and later after he became blind, it became an inspiration to him 
because of what this other guy had done. Now, let me tell you, I watch this stuff, I hear these stories, and I have a few feelings. Man, I feel like a wimp. I feel like a, a, a wimp. I think about this. I find complaining easier than conquering. I find it easier to stay where I am than to move against things that are a challenge to me. But the second thing is I'm motivated. I am pushed. I want to do hard things that are in front of me in my life. I, I want to take on challenges. I want to develop courage. And you see that the passage that was read today, Meredith read the first passage of Jesus going into Jerusalem. It is, it is all about courage. It's all about mission. And that's what we're going to see today, that, that Jesus was on as he went in the direction of Jerusalem and as I read that, I think, think of the disciples, right? They experienced this firsthand. And these guys who'd been so afraid to even admit they had been with Jesus now went out across the world and, brought, and literally changed, turned the world upside down. And you want to ask, well, how did they get there? What did they see that changed them? And that's what I want to look at with you today, how, how Jesus faced and conquered the, 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 the biggest challenge that each of us have in our lives and how in the process of doing that, he's opened up a new way for us to live. Would, would you pray together with me? Lord, it really is easy and something about modern culture just says, take it easy. Turn the AC down and make it cooler. And, and Lord, uh, we, we have so many ways of taking the stress and the challenge and, and just the reality of life out of our lives. And because of that, Lord, we find it easier to say, no, I'm gonna stay where I am than to move forward. And in every area of our lives, Lord. And so I pray that you would show us Jesus, not so that we would have an example of courage, but you would show us Jesus so that we can see what he's done to change our stories too. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. The prophet Isaiah said, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now I read that because the most common command in scripture is not to love God. It's not to love your neighbor. It's not to obey some law right, that's been given. Actually, the most common command over 300 times is simply, fear not. Don't be afraid. Listen to Jesus. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And here it is, neither let them be afraid. Now, the reason this is the most common command in scripture, do not be afraid, this is where we live every day. Our fears cast a shadow over our lives. Our fears keep us hiding from each other, afraid of rejection, afraid of criticism and conflict, afraid of really being vulnerable, even with people we're close to. And they keep us assessing risks at every life turn. What's that gonna cost? Is it gonna hurt me? We're afraid to make a mistake, afraid of, of failure, afraid of uncertainty. And here is this most debilitating condition of human life. And in the process, we miss beautiful opportunities for relationships to flourish, for, for a life of adventure with God, 
for, for healing and redemption. And we miss these things because we're afraid. Now, don't get me wrong. People and life can hurt us. The danger is real. But fear is, is exaggerated. We looked at this a few weeks ago in worship, but, but I think it bears repeating. Fear is an overfocus, a hypervigilance about that which could hurt us. And by the way, often the focus of our fear is something that's real, something that really does could place us or someone we love in danger. But our overfocus distorts our perception and as a result, it locks down, it shuts down our lives. It keeps us on the sidelines rather than moving toward life. And by the way, these fears can be so dominant and controlling, it's, it's as if they run our lives. They're like almost a God over us. We no longer see the true and living God or his care, but it's, we can only perceive the danger. And so I asked, well, how can we be, be free? And wouldn't, wouldn't we want to be free from this debilitating fear. And how is that possible? I think it's in understanding first where our fears come from and then what Jesus has done to bring us freedom. And now we come to Palm Sunday and this is a day of joy for us because it's the day Jesus presented himself in Jerusalem. And by the way, the whole way with his disciples, he's been keeping his identity under wraps. Don't tell anybody. Here's Mark 7. And Jesus charged them to tell no one about him and what they'd seen. And even to his disciples, it says this. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. I just heard Tatiana and she said, hey, go tell everybody and hand out this card. And it was an invitation. And so, but Jesus began his ministry by saying, you've got to keep this under wraps. You cannot tell anyone. And Jesus is doing this because he knows as soon as the word gets out, there will be a price on his head. The religious leaders will seek to take his life. And so the timing of his ministry is for this very day, the triumphal entry. He will enter into Jerusalem as all the ancient kings of Israel had on a donkey, not a horse, a stallion, but on a donkey with, with pilgrims waving palm branches as the kids did for us this morning. And you see, Jesus knows that by going to Jerusalem and revealing his identity to everyone, he's actually going to his death. And his disciples figure this out as well. When Jesus first explains that he has to die, telling them that, he, that this is what is going to happen, this is what it says. He, he spoke plainly about this, his death, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now imagine rebuking Jesus. Hey, you don't know what you're talking about, buddy. This isn't going to happen to you. But Jesus kept moving forward toward his death. And even before he arrives in Jerusalem, a plot has been formed that he would be arrested. And actually, everybody's talking. Is he gonna show up? Is he actually gonna come? This is the Gospel of John. They, the people, kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. You see, the, the disciples knew Jesus' life was in the balance, and they wonder, why in the world would he go there? If he could avoid this moment, certainly he's going to do that. But he shows up. 
and it's Palm Sunday and he's revealed before them for who he is. Why did he do this? Why did he have to do this? Here's the text that Kayla read for us. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Here's why. Because our greatest enemy is death. And it's this fear that the evil one loves to put on us that is used every day to lock down our lives. And it was only in facing what we cannot conquer, death and defeating it, that Jesus can sort of get at the roots of our, of our fears. This is why God became a human being. He had to become as we are and suffer what we suffer and even more. And it's why Jesus that day showed up in Jerusalem to give us freedom from our fears. By the way, you know that's, you know that's at the base of all of our fears now, the scriptures put this truth about death in two different ways, and both are true, okay? The first is like this. We need to look at them. We tend to focus on just one. The wages of sin is death. Maybe you've heard that. Because of sin, death came into the world. We know about this, and it's true. Sin causes death. That is why all human beings die. But we also find passages like this. The sting of death is sin. And what that means is, is that the fear of death is actually a cause of the sin in our lives. It keeps us in bondage. It is the hidden fear beneath all of the other fears. You see, it's self-preservation that leads to self-protection, that leads to self-interest. It's the roots of sin like arrogance and, and envy, the hatred of others. It's why we freeze and fight. We're paralyzed when fear comes. It's where our anxiety is all rooted. Why we vigilantly monitor existential threats in our environment. You know how this works. Uh, years ago, I had a friend who, who uh, every two years, he would invite me with him to explore a different part of Alaska. And one of the years we were in Alaska, we, we took a boat out of Juneau in southeastern Alaska, and we ended up out by Glacier Bay, one of the most beautiful places in Alaska, beautiful place. And on our way back, we decided to take refuge in this place. It's a Native American village called Huna, Huna, Alaska. And we really liked it because it's protected from the weather, and the weather can be very harsh there. At least at one time, we were in pretty significant danger while we were there. And, and, and when we went in, the, the people who live there are called Klingit, in, uh, Native Americans, that's their tribe. We met a couple and they said, hey, we would like to take you on a tour of our village. And we said, why, sure. I mean, you saw the village, it'd take 10 minutes, right? So they, we got into their truck, king cab truck, you know, and, and they drove us around. And then after they had done that, the man said to us, how would you like to visit the Huna Zoo? And we're like, really? Your village could be big enough to have its own zoo? And he said, sure, I'll take you there. So he drove up this winding road and went to the top of the mountain outside this village. And there was this big crevasse in the rock. And in that crevice, they'd thrown all their garbage. And part of it was burning in one area. And as we looked around, there were over 200 bald eagles 
that were fishing through the garbage looking for something to eat. And so we got out of the truck and we walked over the, this crevice and you could just, wasn't that far away from us, right? We looked down in it, but also in there were probably 30 or 40 grizzly bears of like the 1,000 pound variety and some black bears too, sort of watching their way around. And after watching for just a little while, we were just like amazed, hear all these bears and all of these birds. I noticed that this man's wife had not gotten out of the truck. So we went over, the door was open and we said, why didn't you get out of the truck? And she pointed at one of the bears and she said, that bear could cross the distance to you in less than 10 seconds. I wouldn't leave this truck without a gun. You idiots, what are you doing? And we sort of realized maybe they were feeding us to the zoo animals, right? I mean, but let me tell you, she knows because she won't go to the clothesline behind her house without carrying a firearm, what this existential feeling is. But you don't have a bear in your yard. You don't have a bear. But the reality is all of us do. All of us know the feeling of our vulnerability. I can be hurt. And if we, we deny this power, but it lies at the roots of our greatest fear. Like, you know, you're always on the clock. Your time is going to run out. Why do you think we worry about not having enough? Why do we, we worry about every ache and new lump and hurt on our bodies? We worry that maybe younger men or women are getting ahead of us, right? I'm, I'm, we worry about all these things and this fear of death produces inauthentic relationships because I can't get, be vulnerable. I'll be hurt if I do. And everything we begin to see spreads from this fear of death that the text says, this is where our sin comes from. And this grows across our lives like kudzu that, that covers the mountain until we can't see it. The reality is the fear of death produces sin. This is why we lash out when we're in danger. It's why we fear exposure, why we cut corners when we feel scarcity. It's, it's why we can't love, can't share. And by the way, we try, this is why we try to be death defying. We tell people we're fine when we're not. Why do we need to do that? We don't want to admit that we're, we're really not in control of our lives and our futures. We don't wanna admit that we can't do life on our own, that we need other people. We pretend to have our lives together for fear of someone seeing our weaknesses. We color our hair. I mean, look at all of the ways we try to look younger and be younger. We pile up a list of accomplishments because if I do something big enough and heroic enough, I'll always be remembered. I'll somehow not be lost. We want to achieve significance and we're doing all we can to defeat death. And it's all in our culture. This past week, the New York Times outlive, right? These books are coming out in the droves. There was an article that says they're going to find the way for human immortality within the next eight years. Really? I mean, I don't think I'm going to like myself over 100. I don't know. But this is where our hearts are because this fear is so pervasive in our lives. It drives our lives. And by the way, we eat up that stuff about living forever. When all the while our identities are driven by this deep down death anxiety. But we can't defeat death's power. That's why we talk about it as little as possible, maybe only in whispers. I call death the Voldemort of our world. If you've seen the Harry Potter series, can't say his name. So we don't talk about this. So even a person dies, well, he just sort of passed away. Because we don't want to say, 
He's gone. He died. We set things up so people die far away from us in sterile environments. We don't want to see that. And by the way, even our food that comes from death, we package it so nobody sees it. I mean, is that kid with a chicken McNugget going to figure out that actually came from a living animal? Well, sometimes I wonder if it did, but, uh, but it did, right? But that's what we do with our food stuff. We do that because we want to keep weakness and death and so far away from us because this is our deep fear. Now, most of us have never even seen an animal slaughtered. But we love to eat steak. We love this stuff. It's on our plate. We keep it so far away. And it's not by coincidence. This is our strategy. If we can't beat it, let's avoid it. Let's deny it. Let's minimize it. Let's remove it. But the fear keeps controlling us. And it produces sinful avoidance strategies in our lives. And here's Jesus. It says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew it was his death. He didn't deny it. He went toward it. He's determined to to conquer that which enslaves us. And his goal is your freedom from this fear, from the devil, by the way, who will use this in your life to keep your life as small and bound up in fear as possible. Let me read that verse again. See how it sounds. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us. He too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus had to become just as we are, human in every way, as frail as you are physically, subject to death. But here's the thing I notice about him. Read the gospel accounts, you will never find even the smallest bit of fear in him. There's no fear of rejection. There's no fear of not having enough, even though he he was raised and lived his whole life in poverty. There's no fear of criticism, no fear of pain or failure. He moved toward the cross. And by the way, if you're gonna choose a death to die, you're not gonna choose that one. But he steadily moved toward this to conquer this enemy that stands against him. And he did so fearlessly because he was on a mission. And you know what, the disciples, and, and we don't get this, Hey, since I invoked Voldemort and you're a Harry Potter fan, I love this story, right? It comes from the Half-Blood Prince, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Harry suspects that his professor Severus Snape is really an evil bad guy, right? And he sort of comes across that way. He's played by Alan Rickman. And he's on the side of the guy we can't talk about, Voldemort. In one pivotal moment in the story, Dumbledore, who's the headmaster and and Harry's friend and one of the heroes of the story is surrounded by his enemies and in them is is Severus Snape and Dumbledore just says to Severus, Severus, please, Severus, please. It sounds like he's pleading with him to protect him, that being surrounded by his enemies, Severus could do something about it. And then right after that, Harry sees Severus kill Dumbledore, his hero. I mean, he's devastated. And from that moment, Severus becomes his enemy. He, he is against him. And by the way, you're kept in that tension through so much of that narrative. And it's not until you read the last book as actually Severus is dying that Harry has the ability to extract his memories And he is just, he's overwhelmed. 
The shock comes because he realizes Severus had always loved his mother and he would have done anything to save him, anything for him. But the real shock comes when he discovers that, that Dumbledore was already dying. He was under a curse and Dumbledore had actually asked Severus to kill him. And when he said, Severus, please, he wasn't asking to be saved. He was asking him to kill him. You see, Severus did it out of loyalty and responsibility. He was being asked to do this, not to protect him. When the, when the truth is revealed, eh, everything is different. You see, this happened to the disciples. As they see Jesus going to Jerusalem, they know it's going to be his death, and, and they can imagine this should happen, and Jesus should go there. They know the outcome of all of this, and it's a colossal mistake. But there's no other way to cover our sin. There's no other way to break the power of death to enslave us. It was all Jesus' purpose to, to take this thing away, to conquer it that shuts down our lives. He, he took the power of death that drives our sin. Jesus did what we cannot do. And when, I, when I, we discover that, I say, okay, how do I get that? And if you look at your life, you'll see that this death fear is beneath all of it. How did, how did he do this? This is what Palm Sunday is all about. It's not about the king that kings do can, can demand loyalty and even the death their subjects to die to protect them. It's about the king, the real king, who comes and he dies for his subjects, for the people that he loves. And in his death, our slavery is broken. So how can it be broken? Why am I still living in fear? In truth, we can appropriate this only by faith in Jesus. We come to trust that Jesus came and that he died and that he died for me and for you. And by the way, this message sort of runs as a thread through the whole New Testament. Here's the Apostle Paul. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who or, or what can stand against us? Do you think if you're in Christ, death has any power over you? It doesn't own you. It doesn't determine your future, God does. And he's already shown you in Christ, he's for you. We are no longer in death. We've, we've passed from death to life. And we know that God is with us. Jesus is death for us. It cannot hold us because it could not hold him. And we already died with him. Here's, here's Paul elsewhere. If we die with him, we will also live with him. And there is no fear in love, but perfect fear drives out, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, Jesus became a human being and went to this place to face death, to free you from this slavery that entered into our world through our sin. And we appropriate this by faith, by, by trusting in him. This is why Jesus turned his face toward Jerusalem. Years ago, I mean, I love learning people's stories. And maybe you know this woman. Her name is Maya Angelou. She was poet laureate of the United States. And I, I didn't know her story, and I didn't really think that much of her poetry until I did know her story. Um, she explained how she came to faith in Christ. She was a victim of childhood rape. Imagine this little girl. And she lived in such shame she could not speak in public. 
She didn't believe she had any value or significance. I mean, how did she get to the place where she would do what she did? But here's what happened. She was in graduate school and she was, one day she was instructed by her instructor, Frederick Wilkerson, to read a section out of a book that's entitled Lessons in Truth. And at the very end of that section, she's only age 24, she gets to these three simple words, God loves me. And she read it and she closed the book and started to set it aside. And the teacher said, whoa, please read that again. He realized she wasn't taking it in. God loves me. And her teacher said, because this time she said it sarcastically. Eh, God, God loves me. Again, he said, after the seventh repetition, she began to process that statement. What would that mean? That, there might, that, that might, there might be truth in that statement, the possibility that God really did love, love her. Maya Angelou, who thought herself worthless, she said, I suddenly began to cry at the grandness of it all. I knew that if God loved me, then I could do wonderful things. For what could stand against me with God? Years later, she was asked, well, how did you do all that? I mean, you came from this background that was really horrible. It would crush a child and take away their future. She was asked how she was able to write and do what she did, and she said it as simply as this, because God loves me. That's why I am who I am. You see, on Palm Sunday, this is what you learned, that God loves you so much and saw that thing that's robbing you from such joy of being able to get close to people, discovering what God created you to do, what your gifts are and your calling. He came that he might remove that from you. And by the way, let me tell you, it's not about being fearless in the end. That's not the purpose in all of this. It is in mastering fear that uh, through that, that the love of God will come to you and then to other people with abandon. And by the way, let me tell you, it takes more courage and freedom to love in that way than it takes to climb Mount Everest blind. Hear me when I say that. And only God can set us free for that kind of love and that kind of life. And it happens in knowing that your life is in Christ and that he died for you. Would you pray with me? Father, this week as we approach Easter, help us to get the truth of the gospel to see this new life that's already been given to us in him so that it's a celebration and more. It's a life that we live and a joy that we experience and a love that we can share. And, and Father, so, so many of us, Lord, we're bound up by so much fear. Help us to learn such a love from you that that fear doesn't rule over us but we come to enjoy the kingship and the love of Jesus. Father, thank you that Jesus did not turn away, but he set his face toward Jerusalem. In Jesus' name we pray.